Welcome to Tribes Podcast. Thank you for making this message a part of your week. If you're ever in Jackson Hole, we would love for you to visit our tribe family. We meet on Sundays at 5.30 at the Snow King Conference Center. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can find us online or on Facebook by searching tribejh.com. So this evening, I want to introduce to you uh, Pastor Brian with a Y. And uh, Pastor Brian with a Y actually met, about a year or so ago, met Pastor Brian with an I, and shockingly, they really hit it off. And so anyway, uh, that led to uh, Pastor Brian with a Y being here this evening, Uh, and then that's going to consequently result in Pastor Brian with an I coming out to St. Louis uh, come April for our men's conference. Pastor Brian with a Y actually uh, leads a church of about 800 or so people. Uh, named Jubilee Church, which is uh, where we're from, so we're very, very proud to have him. He also leads a uh, network of churches named Confluence, uh, about 30 or so churches throughout the United States and in Mexico. So, uh, Pastor Brian, with a Y, please come on up. Thank you. Um, Yeah, uh, Tim, uh, I've met uh, Brian uh, over the internet uh, through over email. Excuse me, that sounded worse than it, it was meant to be. Uh, but we did take our relationship to the next level. We took it. We met in person, and I just I just loved uh, meeting that guy. He's so full of life. Um, we we do have the same name, but that's pretty much uh, where the similarities. Uh, that's that's where they end. Uh, I mean, I mean, just re- reading his book. You know, he he ran fourteen hundred and 16 miles across Mongolia. I don't even want to drive that far. I mean, we drove out here about that far, and that's about, like, I, I don't have that. But I, I loved uh, being in the environment. He, I had the privilege of, of sitting in on a staff meeting and just loved the, the vitality and the passion for, uh, for Jesus and passion for you. I mean, I just kept sitting there thinking, like, wow, I mean, these guys really love serving these people. It really struck me. Uh, it's one of the things I, I just, because he asked me, well, you know, what do you, what do you think? I was like, man, I just love the, the passion here. And then I had the opportunity uh, over some tacos and margaritas to just talk and, and chat and uh, him and Lisa, and just was just blown away um, by their, their honesty and, and just their integrity. And, uh, you know, I obviously won't go into the conversation, but just, I was just, man, these guys are great, great people. And it, you know, he didn't know this, but I mean, the vetters, Tim and Kathy Vetter, they're, they're really dear friends to us, and, and they know that part. But what he didn't know, but I was actually, like, interviewing him, like, are, is this church good enough for my friends? And so they passed, and it's all good, and it was great. So it is an honor to be here. It's an honor any time to open up God's Word. Um, God, uh, in the Scriptures, uh, it, preachers are to, they are to get double honor, but they're also to get double judgment for what they say. They don't tell you that in pastor school until you, after you get out, but they're to get double uh, judgment because, and the reason why is because God's um, sheep, his people, are very precious to him. In Psalms, it says that, that we, that every local church, uh, is the apple of his eye. And, and so I know that he's looking down on this. Um, uh, he's looking down on what's happening. He's looking down on me, and I'm honored by that, and I'm humbled by that. And so it's, it's always a privilege to speak at any church. And, and I'm also honored to get the invitation. I know what it's like to invite someone in. 
And so I know Brian, wherever you're, you know, I know he's watching. And so and you are very precious to him. And I know what, a, what a, uh, an extension of trust this is uh, to, to be here. And so I'm, I'm honored to be here and I'm humbled to be here. Uh, my story um, is I, I didn't, um, I, I grew up in the church, but I, I quickly left it uh, as soon as I had a, a driver's license. I mean, ba- I didn't want to have anything to do with the church. But God powerfully arrested me, um, spiritually speaking, uh, in college. Uh, I, I, I was, it was my senior year, it's 1998, so that's how old I am, 43 years old. 1998, uh, senior at uh, University of Missouri. And I was, it was spring break, and I was just sitting there um, in my apartment, and I was becoming depressed. I, I was depressed for a few reasons. One, I found, I, was in a, I found out I was in an exclusive relationship that wasn't so exclusive. Uh, the second thing I found out was the job, you know, I just thought if you get a college degree, people will line up to give you a job. That wasn't happening that way. And, I, and it was spring break, and I was all alone in, in, this, in this apartment. And so I, I wasn't actually all alone. There was, it was me and these two cats, which are probably the sorriest cats you've ever met in your life. One, like, had a broken front arm, and so it would just walk around like this. And the other one was so fat. I mean, I just, I usually don't like to talk about weight, um, about other people. But anyway, this cat was so fat. Like, literally, when it would come into the other room, you could hear it huffing and puffing. Like, I don't know if you ever heard a cat huffing, but it would. And so I'm sitting there on the couch, and, and, this, and, and I'm... I had to pick up this cat, which was no small feat, and I put him there, and I, and I saw this Bible over to the right of me. It was a Bible my parents had got me a year and a half before. It was in the plastic. I opened it up. It has, you know, leather bound. has my name on it. Um, and, and I opened it up. I didn't know where to start, but I just knew growing up that the Gospels and Psalms and Proverbs were a big deal. So I started reading Psalms, or back then it was Psalms, and I got to Psalm 81.10, and it said, it, I read this verse. And it said, open your mouth wide, and I'll fill it. And, and it was one of those moments. I mean, I remember actually like looking up in the room because it, it wasn't just that I was reading these words on a page, but it really felt like, man, God was speaking these words to me and you know, kind of grabbed me by the jugular. Two thoughts. One is the first time in my life that I knew that I knew that I knew that God was really real for real. And the second thing is, is I felt like he was speaking that to me. That like, if, hey, if, if, I, if you open your mouth wide, to me, I'll fill it with some good things. Now, so I move on, and I, I, so I kind of had this experience with Jesus, but I didn't, still didn't know what to make of the church, and I stumbled into this small church called Jubilee that I now lead. It was just getting started, um, and I heard about this vision for the church. I mean, there was just hard, I mean, it's just um, about a room this size with so many people, and, and I uh, I just heard about this, this, this early church that was so devoted to God that anytime God said go, they went. Anytime they, he said hold back, they, they held back. They were just that devoted to God. And it, it was a commun- this community that was for each other. And they like shared possessions and no one had needs. And, and, and God worked in miraculous ways. And, and it says like the people were in awe, not uh, you know, like uh, I'm in church, but like awe, like wow, this is amazing. And uh, that, you know, that, uh, you know, Racial walls were being torn down and generational walls were being torn down. All these uh, great things were happening. People were working on this basis of spiritual giftedness. There was no one who's like, hey, who needs you? And who, I mean, just this amazing picture of the church. And I just remember sitting there. I was 23 years old at the time. I was a, in finance. And I remember just sitting there. Like, like on, I, I just could feel myself getting further and further to the edge of my seat. And I'm just like, is no one else hearing this? Like, this is amazing. Like, no one ever told me the church could be like this. And I could not wait until the service is over. And I just go, man, I'm in. Like, I don't know what this is about. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't even know if you want me to be here. 
but I'm in. Like, I want to do this. And what happened that day is God wrecked my heart uh, for the local church. Uh, God wrecked my heart for the potential of what the church uh, is, can be, will be, should be, you know, whatever you want to put in there. And I was just absolutely ruined. And um, I, mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I just felt like I was riding a rocket. I mean, I was just like, I didn't know what was going on. Every, every week was uh, something uh, amazing. And, and I felt like the prophet Jeremiah, you know, that verse where he says, you know, there was within me a burning in my bones and I could not hold it in, yet I cannot. And I was just like, man, I got to be a part of this. And so the, the church has wrecked me. And this is kind of like uh, what I'm passionate about. So I, I, again, so I was in the finance world. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor. I wasn't a part of a youth group. I wasn't a part of, of a college ministry. I didn't do any of those things that you're supposed to do. I didn't go to seminary. I made a joke about pastor school, but I've never been there. So I didn't do that. I went to business school. I just, I, I'm not like, because most people look at me and they think, oh, I've been a pastor forever. No, it's not how I, I, I look at myself. But what happened, and the reason why I am doing this is that I just think like this is the best thing that you could do with your life is to totally sell out, be all in for what God is doing in this church. And in fact, I will go for, for, so far to say this. And you, you know, believe, you know, hear me now, believe me later, as it, Hans and Franz used to say if, you were, if you're that old. Um, <laughs> until you know in your heart, know in your head, and begin to know it in your habits that the church, like, that you give yourself to church, I don't think that you'll really know what life and purpose are all about. And I know that's, that's strong, but I just believe it's that much because I just think the redemptive possibilities are that staggering. And, and what I want to do is I don't want you to take my word for it, not that you would anyway, um, but I want you to hear what Jesus has to say about the church. Because Jesus says some pretty significant things, as do other uh, New Testament writers, uh, but he has some pretty significant things about the potential of the church and what it, its place in society. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to be talking from uh, Matthew chapter 5. This will be really famous if you have any uh, experience of the church. Matthew 5, uh, verse 13. This is what, um, this is what Jesus says. Um, this is in a section of, of the Bible uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. Well, first of all, Matthew is one of the four Gospels. And the Gospels were just basically biographies of Jesus, and there were four of them, and Matthew was one of those writers. And he recorded the, this sermon, this, 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 this time period where Jesus was going public, and he was kind of like giving his like, hey, here's, here's what my people are going to be about. This is, this is my vision night for my church and this is what he has to say. He says this, and, and the emphasis is on you, man. I wish I could, I wish I could emphasize this. Uh, it says, you are the salt of the earth. This is what he's saying. If you're part of the church, this is what he's saying. You are the salt of the earth. But if a salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything to be thrown out, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You become a joke on late night, late night TV. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor People light a lamp and put it on a, on a, under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I got two simple points. 
Too simple. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying two things here. He's saying, number one, the world is in trouble, right? And number two, the church is the answer. Really simple. The world's in a lot of trouble. Number two, the church is the answer. Okay, uh, number one, the world is in trouble. Um, within the last hundred years, we've moved from, pes- uh, uh, from uh, optimist to pessimist, like in society. Uh, we used to be idealist, and now we're realist. And so if I was a pastor a hundred years ago, I'd probably have to spend a lot of time convincing you that the world is in trouble and messed up. Uh, but that's not true today. We are a culture of cynics. We don't trust politicians. We don't, we don't trust uh, minister. I mean, oh, you get your money from organized religion? Oh, do you? I've heard that. Uh, we don't trust uh, doctors. You know, business, you know, business is crooked. We don't trust anyone. There's this famous quote. It's anonymous, I think. If anybody knows who said it, let me know because so I can stop saying it's anonymous. Everyone here is a crook except me and you, and sometimes I'm beginning to wonder about you. Uh, we're all suspicious. We know one, and we're all suspicious of each other. And uh, the reason why is because the world is falling apart, and that's what Jesus is saying in Salt and Light. What he's saying, he's saying the reason why the church, or excuse me, why the world needs salt and the reason why the world needs light is because it needs salt because it's falling apart and it needs light because it's dark and disorientated. Uh, back then, salt was used as a preservative and you guys may know this better than the people back where I'm from, but um, I mean, they'd never been out. By the way, like there's no way in the world in, in St. Louis that we'd ever have, if it had snowed eight inches, if there, if if it snowed an eighth of an inch, we would not have service. So congratulations to you guys. Well, well done. I'm gonna, this is the first thing I'm going to say about what, man, they showed up. It was snowing, and they showed up. So anyway, but they would take salt. They, you know, they would put it on the meat and preserve the meat uh, to keep it from decaying. And light back then was just, it was nothing more than a wick and some oil. And it was a lot more important than than here, even in a place right here. I mean, like we, when our kids, we drove here, by the way, and when we, when we drove here and we were driving through Wyoming in the middle of the night, like, my kids were like, what are those bright things in the sky? Oh, yeah, those are stars. We don't see those in the city where we're from, but like, but even here, like, there's still, like, lights coming in, and, and we, there's never, it's never really, really dark, but if you've ever, I don't, you guys hang out in caves? Have you ever been in a cave? It is absolutely disorientating. If you, 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 can't, you don't know which way is left, right, up, or down. And that's what he's saying. He's saying without light, people are uh, disorientated. They're dark, and they need light. But he, and saying they need salt, it's saying it's decaying, and it's falling apart. And that's why it needs salt. And here's the truth. We all know that the world is falling apart. That's why when you buy something, you get what? You can get like a one-year warranty or a three-year warranty or five-year. Can you imagine getting a 10-year warranty? on something, they're basically saying this thing's going to fall apart. Some of you probably have jobs. Your income is dependent upon things falling apart. Like you fix things. The, the whole reason why you have a job or, is that you, um, you do, your income depends upon falling apart. Um, everybody knows. And when my son was, was younger, we lived in this old, this cool house in the city, three-story brick house. And my son's very curious. And he's like, hey, when was this when was this house built? Or how old is this house? And I said, well, it was built in 1904. It's, it's about 100 years old. He's like, whoa, it should be dead by now. And he's uh, like, yeah, because he knows that everything's going to fall apart. Relationships have the tendency to fall apart. Marriages fall apart. People kind of, you know, lose touch. Your gadgets, your toys, your clothes are falling apart. Your favorite shirt today won't be your favorite shirt in five years because it'll either fall apart or your wife won't let you wear it. You know, it's like, you're wearing that? No, I'm not. Anyway, so like, but you and I are falling apart. I'm 43 years old, and I have to be careful getting out of bed. 
Uh, I just can't just get out of bed without like really thinking about what I'm doing. I have to like, okay, I've or reaching for a cup of coffee. I mean, I, I hurt my shoulder the other day, and I've got all these young guys on staff. They're like, what'd you do hurting your shoulder? I was like, well, I was getting a cup of coffee. And so, and um, with the older we get, molecules break down, our skin sags and wrinkles, hair falls out, disease creep in, and then we literally die, and we literally fall apart. We've come from dust. We will end up as dust. Scientists will tell you that the universe itself is falling apart. Disintegration is around the corner. Everything is going to pieces. Even if we were to solve what is, you know, the world's greatest problems and fill in the blank, you know, health care, you know, disease, cancer, poverty, crime, there is nothing, there is nothing that we can do about the death rate. It has been and always will be somewhere around one per person. We're all going to die. Because the Bible says that we are all slaves. The Bible uses this language. It uses strong language. It says that we are slaves to sin and death. And so when you walk around the square of this this town and they're drinking their coffee and spending their money and having a good time, if you look closely, if you've got spiritual eyes, if you've been born again, and I get that maybe not everyone here, like some of you are probably just figuring out, like, what is church and what is Jesus? Been there, done that, and, man, I'm so glad you're here. For those who have like been born again, uh, if you look with spiritual eyes, you'll, you'll notice, you'll see people chained to two things. They're chained to sin and death. Slaves to sin and death. Now you're saying, well, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm in the West. I'm a free person. I'm an independent person. I do what I want when I want. Okay, prove it. Stop sinning and stop dying. You are a slave to anything that you cannot control. Sin masters you. Death masters you. We are born into a world that's under the sway of Satan, sin, and death. Everything that's in us as human beings, there's something gnawing on us. Like We just feel like we've got to achieve something. It, it, it drives us in our careers. It drives us in our hobbies. It's, it's this desire to be free. Like we want to be free. We don't even know what we want to be free from. Well, here's what you want to be free from. You want to be free from sin and death. But you can't earn your way out of death. You can't play your way out of death. Death looks at you, looks at your little attempts to be free, and it mocks you, and it's looking at its watch and saying, your time is going to come. I'm just here to encourage you guys. I just like, Brian said, just, Brian said love on these people, and I, I'm just here to encourage you. The good news is I'm not done. The church is the answer. So Jesus says the, the, the world is in desperate need of salt and light. Like he's speaking to them like, hey, this isn't a game. Like this isn't some hobby you do once a week. Like, this is the answer. This is what's going to keep the world from falling apart. This is what's going to keep the world from being dark and disorientated. Now, I want to be clear about something. When this text says that we are the, the light of the world, it compares us to a lamp. We're not the sun. You know, we're not the stars. Our light is derived, okay? He's the light. In John 1, he's called the light of the world. In John 8, he calls himself the light of the world. Colossians, you know, it's a letter that this guy named Paul wrote. 
and he says, in him all things hold together. He's the one who's going to renew the world. He's the one that keeps our bodies together. He's the one who keeps our relationships together. He's, he's the one. But listen, I think Jesus, and I, I'll say this more, I know that Jesus, he makes a closer connection to himself in the church than I think you and I are comfortable with. He makes a very, very close connection. One of the great mysteries of the, uh, in the, of the universe and really the wonders is this covenant that we're in, this relationship. It's called a covenant that we're in. Um, that we have, a, we have this union with Christ where we represent Jesus here on earth. He, he calls us his ambassadors. Wait, do, you think that, do you think that's, is that how you think of yourself? Like you represent him? So much so that Paul said this. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In other words, like being a Christian is that look at me, I'm, I'm Christianing. I'm, I'm going to church and I'm doing little Christian things. I'll say it this way. God has provided no provision in and of your, in your flesh and in, in like your, to be a Christian. It's impossible. You can't do it. That's uh, so when the Bible says things like, you know, don't live by the flesh. I'm talking about this, but talking about that part of you that's not yet submitted to God. He's saying live by the spirit, which means that you allow Christ to live in you. That's why Paul said this. No longer I who lives, but Christ who's living in me. And so in Acts 1.1, and I think we, have, we might have this on the screen, potentially. Yes. Yes. In the first book, O Theopolis, so this is Luke writing. Luke actually wrote most, he wrote most, he is a, wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote two books. And he wrote these entire two books to his friend Theopolis. Like I have a hard time witnessing to my friend, like giving up an evening to witness to my friend. He wrote two whole books the witness to his friend. He says, in my first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus, what's that word? Tell, shout it out. That Jesus began. That word is super important. In the first book, I wrote that all that Jesus began to do and teach, and now, through the, te- this, the telling of the, the, the church, I'm gonna tell you what Jesus is, not was, is, continues to do. Jesus is ministering through tribe church. If you're a Christian and you're doing anything of any eternal benefit at all, it's not you who's doing it. It's Christ doing it in you. And so when it says that we are the light of the world, why are you saying that? Because it's not like us doing it. It's Christ in us doing it. And that his plan, he has no plan B. In fact, he said, I'll, I'll say that this is, one of the, this is one of the most mind-boggling verses in the Bible. Ephesians 3.10, Paul writes this. He says that, uh, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the, 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 multifit, uh, the multifaceted wisdom of God will be put on display to the principalities and powers. This is God's eternal purpose. In other words, it's saying, it's saying that the apex of God's wisdom is the church. Or another way of saying it, that God's smartest idea is the church. That through the church, he's gonna put himself on display, that he's gonna get people together who normally kill each other, he's gonna get them to love each other, they're gonna serve each other, they're gonna, they're gonna give money away, and the world is gonna be like, what in the world is going on here? What's the church? The reason why Christians and churches get off track is that they forget that they are to finish and complete the mission of Jesus. 
I'm not here to play Christian games. I'm not here to like do little Christian excursions, but they have a mission together. Sometimes churches, I, I get to be in a lot of churches, and, and churches act like the war's over. The work is over, and so we just hang out and do little Christian activities and Christian excursions. There's a group of American soldiers at the end of World War II, and they fought all the way from France to, um, to Berlin, to Hilton, uh, Hilton. <laughs> not to the Hilton, to Hitler's Eagle's Nest. And uh, once Hitler had died and, and, and you know, the Nazis surrendered, uh, there was a group of American soldiers who were still stuck in Berlin. They couldn't get back. So they'd sit there and wait. And so here they are, guns strapped on their shoulders with no battle to fight. And what ended up happening over time is they began to kill each other. Uh, some were killed accidentally and some were killed intentionally. And these were men who fought side by side and bunker after bunker and trench after trench began to kill one another because they had no more battles to fight, but they still had guns in their hands. Let me tell you something. There is one reason and one reason only why you still are sucking in air. Ephesians 2.10 says this, that we are creating Christ Jesus as workmanship to walk in the good works he has prepared for you. The only reason why you're still alive, it's not accidental, it's very purposeful, is he has good works for you to walk into. And that's the mission of the church. And churches can become toxic places when they forget the mission they've been called to because you have guns in your hands, but you have no mission to, to fight. So you end up turning on each other. I see this happen all the time, especially in America. Churches like fighting. And the reason why they're fighting is because they don't, they're called to fight. They're just not called to fight each other. They're called to fight the principalities of darkness that are in the world. So we've got a mission, and the world is dark and disorientated. So what is the answer? Well, how do we do this? Well, we have any Trekkie fans? Are you willing to admit it? Don't admit it, actually. If you are, just keep your hand down. It's better. I can't see you anyway. Um, they, they had to respect something called the Prime Directive. And the Prime Directive of the United Federations of Planets, just to geek out a little bit more, which is that you don't interfere with the internal development of any, any civilization. So the Prime Directive was this, is that you observe, but you don't interfere. You don't get involved. Can I just say that the Prime Directive for the Christian is the exact opposite of that? The Christian is meant to engage. We're meant to disrupt the powers of darkness that are uh, behind the world system and values. And that's what salt and light is all about. It's like, like we're meant to expose just by being us, not by putting on bumper stickers, not by, you know, whatever, you know, not by sending out, you know, mass emails and saying stuff on Twitter and, you know, not that, but just by being who we are, just by living as salt and light in this world we're meant to expose darkness for what it is. Like, have you ever had that moment when you wake up, you know, you're, it's, in the, it's still dark, and you open up, and you, and you pull out two socks that you think are black, but then you get in the light, and you realize one's black and one's blue? Like, I probably did that tonight. I don't know. But that's what he's saying. It's like, once, you get, once, once people get into a good light, you begin to... So, so, like, just by you being you, you make racism look like racism. Just by you being you, you make... Uh, cheating look like cheating. You make lying look like lying. You, look, you make lust look like lust. Why? Because you're blowing the whistle like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. No, because you're just you. You're exposing it. You're bringing it out in the open. And that's what Christ is talking about, that you're to, 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 um, 
to put your good works on display. In verse 16, it talks about good works. And there are two major Greek words uh, for the word good. One is agathos, which means useful, uh, like a good boot. You know, it's like useful. It's like really, it's utilitarian. The other one is kalos, which is, uh, means beautiful. And the word he uses here is kalos. It, it means that our deeds, that the way we are, our lives are meant to be beautiful. They're meant to be amazing. They're meant to stand out to where people begin to ask questions, right? Uh, you know, Philippians 2 says this. It says that we are, we are to pop out like lights amongst a crooked generation. Like, we're, we're, it's obvious, not because we're being weirdos, but because we're just different. We do family differently. We do life differently. Wow, man, you don't flirt. All the other guys here flirt with me. You treat me like a sister. What's different about you? Oh, man, everyone here always rags on their husband. You honor your husband. What's different about you? You're being salt and light. So this has some individual implications, but I want to draw our attention to the communal. Because Jesus says that we are a city, and a city is just a big collection of people. I know. Stay with me. Okay. It's just a corporate place. And so he says that we are a city, and then it says that we are salt. And what good is like one granule of salt? Like if you were going at dinner tonight, if, if you said, please pass the salt, and someone says, okay, here's one granule. Like you'd be like, what are you doing? Like you need a whole community of salt to make a difference. And even in the language, it says you, but it, it's really like, it's plural. If, if you geek out on the language, if you, anybody here does that, the language here is plural, the Greek language. So it's more like y'all. Y'all are the light of the earth. That's what he's saying. Y'all are the light of the earth. Y'all are the salt of the, uh, the world. I, I know I got those backwards, but anyway. So he saves us individually, but he's, it's more meant to be this group. He's saying, I want to call you to be not just individually light of the world. You're not called to be just individually salt. Yes, and amen to that. But actually, what I really want is I want to put a community on display, an alternate society, if you will, to show what a city could look like that's totally surrendered to who God is. And, and, and that's what, what Jesus wants to speak, when he, if he could speak potential into tribe church or any church, he would say, man, you're called to be this community that's set up on a hill that people point to and people are like, oh my gosh, what's going on there? What's happening there? Not because we're amazing, gifted, and there's a lot of amazing, gifted people here, but because, of, because it's Christ working through us and putting that on display Jesus is very serious about this. He later on says there's not going to be a devil in hell who can come against the local church. So don't hide it. Don't hide it under a bush. Oh, no, don't do that. Don't become, don't lack your saltiness. Be different. Don't try to blend in. Be different. But to understand this, that Jesus says that the answer for Jackson Hole, for all the mountain towns in Wyoming and in the region and through this region, the world, the answer is this. The answer is his local church. The answer for the decay and the darkness and the division and the hopelessness is the church. And my hope is that there's really three things that you have to wrestle with in this. Well, there's, there's heart things, there's head things, and there's habits. Um, your heart has to be wrecked. I mean, you have to really come to a conclusion, like God has to do something. It's not from me speaking because it's not from Brian's, the other Brian speaking. Um, 
But God has to do something in your heart. You gotta let him, you gotta open it up. He's gotta wreck your heart. And then it becomes a mind shift. You know, your mind has to think differently. And then your habits have to change where you begin to schedule, prioritize the church. Like, what's going on here? Just say, well, I'm just lifting, you know, every time I, I, one of the things that, if you wanna see me get really intense, and this poor woman, I think I scared her. She was like, I was talking to her, and she's just like, well, I'm, you know, I was like, hey, you know, I, I'm meeting the new people. Hey, you know, how's, you know, you know how are you getting involved? Well, I'm just a nursery worker. And I was just like, and everyone could see it. Like, what do you mean you're just a worker? You know, you're not, you're just changing the world. You're just salt and light. You're just participating in the only hope of the world. And we have to feel that way about what we're doing. And we begin to change our habits. We begin to change our schedule. We begin to prioritize things. We begin to speak differently. Here's something. I, you know what? This is like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to the, on the planet, Jackson Hole. The mountains are amazing. The, the, you know, I'm learning to ski, you know, one broken bone at a time um, and all that. And it's really awesome. But I want to give you guys a challenge. I want to give you a challenge that the next time that you talk about to your friends and and family who live outside of here. I just want to challenge you not to talk about how awesome the mountains are or how awesome what, you know, the wildlife is or whatever it is that you're all juiced up about. But I want to challenge you to say, you know what? The church I'm a part of, that is something. It is breathtaking. What do you mean? Like, you know, a few, you know we set up chairs and, you know, we, we do this and do, there's a screen. That's, these aren't actually mountains. I mean, it's just... You know, we're just like, what is it? This is, if you understand what Jesus is saying, the, the, the potential that you guys have to overshadow the Tetons. It's not hard. So as I close here, I uh, just want to give you the, ask you this, this question. What if, what if, in 2019, you saw the greatest thing that you could do was give yourself completely to this church. What if you saw the greatest thing that you could give your life to? Because one day, as you get older, you're going to look over your shoulder and you're going to ask, you're going to ask the question, did I give my life to the best stuff? And there is a load of Christians in these here United States who are going to look over their shoulder with a little bit of regret that they gave themselves to some okay stuff, but just not the best stuff. And I just want to encourage you to consider what if I gave myself completely to a local church? And here's another question. What if we all did this? Like we, like we as tribe church, all of us together, we did this. What if we all did this? Let me just say this. I, I don't know the exact number of your church, but it was, it was about the same number of people that gathered in that early room in Acts 1. And if you go to Acts 28, from Acts 1 to Acts 28 is 30 years. And in Acts 1, they're in Jerusalem. In Acts 28, they are in Rome. And no offense to, to Brian Hunter's 1,416 miles, but that gospel had gone 1,500 miles without motorized transportation, without email, without internet. 
They had a, a pumping church in Jerusalem and Antioch and Corinth and Thessalonica and all these different places. A group your size within 30 years evangelized the known world. What could tribe church do in 30 years? Oh, it absolutely could make a dent in the history of Jackson. It could make a dent in the mountain towns in this region. And I think by God's grace, the world. I just want to thank you for listening to me and have me here. I just would love to pray with you. Would you mind standing and closing your eyes? There's nothing spiritual about closing your eyes. And I'm told that nobody steals anything anyway, so you don't have to be worried about that. I just want to pray for boldness. I don't know about you, but I just need boldness most of the time because I just want to, I, I don't want to be different. I want to, I want to, I want to just do what everybody else is doing. I don't want to talk to my neighbor about what God's doing in my life. I'd rather watch television. I'd rather go outside and play. God, I just want to pray. Lord, would you, I just want to speak boldness over this group, this wonderful group of people who've gathered on this night. God, I just pray but I know there's something in them, Lord, that, that wants more, that desires more, Lord, and you've created them for more. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would show them, Lord, in their own way, God, would you show them, Lord, the beauty and the majesty and the potential that's in a local church, even a, a church that's less than perfect. The potential is mind-boggling. But God, we need boldness. I just pray for just boldness to come on this church, to be different, to speak different. Lord, I just pray they wouldn't lose their saltiness. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't hide their light. But Lord, that they'd let it shine in Jackson, in this mountain region, and through this region of the world.